Hello and welcome to another episode of the Aquatic Mentors podcast. I'm your host Katrina Van Eyck and in this episode I interview an industry professional who has been involved in the implementation of aquatics, recreation, sports facility management and community engagement with local government for the past 12 years. So please extend a big welcome to the podcast for Paul Fernie. After finishing his studies in applied science, Paul found it hard to find work which complemented his studies. So he took on a lifeguarding position and worked his way to duty manager for aquatic facilities in Melbourne. During the interview, Paul shares his struggles he found in acquiring higher level roles in aquatic management during his early years and the advice he would give to young people these days breaking into that level of employment. Paul came across an advertisement for an aquatics role in rural Victoria with the Bull Oak Shire, where he spent 10 years running the Shire's seven outdoor facilities. During these 10 years, Paul continued to enhance his skills through further study and taking on additional roles in the Shire. In 2019, Paul moved to his new role as Manager of Community Engagement at the neighbouring Shire of Ganawara in northern Victoria. His roles now included overseeing the management of the Shire's outdoor aquatic facilities, as well as an indoor therapy pool and assisting other community-owned aquatic facilities. The Krang Amateur Swimming and Lifesaving Club, of which I am president, is situated in one of the Ganawara Shire outdoor facilities. I'm excited to be able to share Paul's journey in aquatics and to highlight another profession involved with swimming and the diversity the aquatics industry brings across Australia. Through today's episode, Paul shares insights into his journey as well as his thoughts on swimming in Australia and where he sees swimming moving to in the future. Please share what inspiration you draw from Paul's interview on our Facebook page, Aquatic Mentors. And if you want to share your aquatic journey with us, please contact me via my email, which is regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. That's regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. As I know, we can all learn from the experiences you've had in the aquatic industry. So let's jump in and find out more about Paul's journey in swimming. So, Paul, how did you start your journey in aquatics? Really good question, Katrina. I got to a point where I was working a number of part-time jobs in retail and finished my university degree, undergraduate degree in sports science, and was looking for a role in obviously the sports industry and got to a point, applied for a lot of jobs and, and struggled to sort of make that or get into the into the space, which I think is recognition of quite a lot of people have challenges getting a job out of uni. So I actually went then and applied for a lifeguarding role and a customer service role in a, in a new aquatic centre in Pakenham. So many of your listeners might know Cadenia Life, which is I think is now run by Aligned. It was, it was run by YMCA when it was first um, opened. So it was a new centre at the time and I, I got a role there as a lifeguard and customer service in there, memberships and sales, which was great. And I guess just worked my way up through through that space. So I started, I think after about a month or so, I, I got offered a duty manager role there and, and then worked at that site for about 18 months and then slipped over to another council-run facility over Croydon, Marina City Council, and built my experience up there as a duty manager at that site and then was able to 
uh, get a full-time pool operations role in the country. So I relocated to the sunny Bull Oak Shire for a full-time role uh, in operations uh, in, in local government and then sort of the exposure to lots of different elements in local government plus some of my studies as well through university were able to, I guess, help me forge a career in local government. Wow, what an amazing journey to go through all of that and start not being able to find employment and then starting as the lifeguard and just building your career and your experience from there to then taking on a rowing council with the number of pools under your belt and taking on all the operations. It's a, such a, a big growth in a short amount of time. Yeah, so that's that's been a, I guess, 10, 12, when did I start? In 2006 in the industry. So what is it now to? So 14 years, yeah. So it obviously takes a long, a long time. And I think recognising too in, in metro pools, you sort of get to a point where you're a duty manager, but it's actually cracking to the next level because of there's so many great skilled and qualified individuals in the aquatic industry and getting into a full-time position in that space is quite challenging. So the idea of relocating to the country and, and I guess bringing some of that knowledge that, that you, you get in, in the large metro centres and bringing that out to a rural setting was quite appealing. And as you know, I'm, I'm still in the rural area now. So, so I've hung around for the last, when did I move? 2009. So 11 years I've been uh, out in regional Victoria now. Perfect. Well, we'll keep it because you've just fitted in so well with regional areas. I thought you were originally from out here in the sticks. I didn't know you were from Melbourne. So that's really cool that you've come out and just settled in. And yeah, you're definitely not going anywhere the way you get one. Thanks, Katrina. <laughs> so what's been the biggest lesson you've learned in your journey in aquatics so far? It's very easy to stress about when things go wrong and it's very often the case in this industry that something will go wrong. The unexpected will always uh, happen and I think rather than stressing about it, I think it's embracing the the challenges that the, the industry that has, whether it, your pool pump breaks down the night before you know the pool's open or your heating shuts down or someone forgot to adjust the backwash valves and your, your pool's gone empty overnight. There's all those different challenges. And I think rather than stressing about this, embracing them and recognising that it is a unique and industry that I'm just talking about pool operations, but there's obviously the, the swim teachers like yourself and lifeguards. And it's a challenging industry in that sense of the, like that day-to-day thing, but to embrace it is, is great. But also I think in a rural setting, it's often very different than metro pools. And I think often as an industry, we apply a lot of context to metro pools and where some of the regional settings really don't align with a lot of those systems and processes. So it's really sometimes quite a challenge for rural and regional facilities that might be run by councils, that might be run by some community groups, which uh, there are plenty of those around too, that um, really battle with the, the challenges to actually open the doors. And I think sometimes we should be supporting those facilities more than, than what we do as an industry. Yeah, very true. And I really like those comments because, I mean, I was researching during COVID about how to support rural and regional pools a lot more, especially those community-run outdoor pools. But after talking with Sam Kane at Golden Square and Bendigo, 
And I know New South Wales have a program where it is just the regional and rural pools get together. They have an association that they work with each other. They go visit a certain pool at the start of the season and really sort of work together and build that alliance and help each other. And I think that's something that could be really beneficial in a lot of regional and rural areas, especially here in Victoria. And I think it is that. And it is also, like you mentioned, not getting all worked up over, you know, if an issue happens, if a problem happens, being cool, calm and collected to be able to run through it and get it fixed. And that's something with you guys in the council having to deal with the community as well. It's really come across as a great service that you have because to be able to communicate with people and we all have to do it in an aquatics industry, whether it's a council or privately owned facility to be able to keep cool, calm and collected, not get all fussed if something goes wrong and to be able to communicate it with the users of your pool just makes a massive difference. Absolutely, absolutely. They're great lessons for anyone in the industry. So what's been your highlight of your aquatics journey so far? As I mentioned earlier, there's some really amazing, talented and skilled people in the aquatics industry. Um, I've recruited a lot of lifeguards and and other staff over the years and I think it is quite a a challenging industry as I've said and roles that we have responsibilities of pool safety and risk management and those sorts of things and through that recruitment process it's amazing the diverse and responsible people that you come across so I think because it's such a tough industry the people that you meet um, are often a really um, just just really quality people that really want to do the best within that space or for their communities. And I think often it's just great working with the people within the industry because because of their tracks, such high quality, such genuine individuals. The that's what I really enjoy about pools. And I think from a local government context, the opportunity to actually have that recreation space for community as well is really important. We've seen so many benefits of that, those spaces, whether they're indoor centres or or outdoor pools, is that the community has so much passion and desire to be involved in an aquatic recreation facility, whether, and the passion of that community, you know, often drives me too. So it's definitely the people, whether it's the community or the staff, there's just some really good people in the industry and it's great to be involved in and working with them. Yeah, that's brilliant. There's so many amazing people in swimming and in aquatics. Everyone wants the best for the industry and for those that are using it, they're always trying to develop. And I mean, that's something I've found over my travels is just everyone's so friendly and, you know, interested in what they do. They're always wanting to achieve. And like you mentioned, in a community atmosphere and out rurally especially, the communities want to get involved and they want a facility that benefits them and draws people to the area and is being used. So it's great to see that involvement as well. Absolutely. I've said this word a lot so far, but they're challenging and aquatic facilities, particularly in rural areas, there's just so much passion, excitement. Many councils do aquatic strategies to try and, I guess, look at the long-term vision for aquatics. As you would know that there was a lot of these outdoor pools built in the um, late 50s, early 60s with the, um, the Melbourne Olympics and they're all sort of at their end of life. So it's, it's very challenging from an asset management point of view for councils to actually really 
bring the community's desire and passion along with the fact that they need to manage and maintain or even redevelop these multi-million dollar facilities. It's, it's quite an expenditure, a high expenditure to actually do this for, for small councils too. So definitely sometimes the desires of the community may not align with what is affordable. And that's the battle that we have sometimes in, in working with our communities to try and, and articulate that and get the right outcome for everybody. As I said to you offline, Katrina, you know, um, and I, we deal with you a bit with Kerrang Swimming Club, but my view is that with groups and, and community, it's around partnerships and then bringing everyone along together. So whilst there can be some challenging conversations, we're all in with, with the same idea. The vision might be slightly different, but the idea is there and, and the desire to, to get the best out of aquatics for the community is definitely there as well. That's right. Well said. And it is. I mean, you're not wanting to sort of pull down these pools or take them out. You're actually wanting to, you know, most counts are wanting to continue and keep using them. But again, as a business, they do have to be able to pay their way. As a a community member using these pools, I've noticed, especially in country Victoria, that a lot of shires are talking about shutting them down and sort of looking to retire a lot of facilities is there any other ways that we could be looking at this or as a community that we can work with councils to be able to continue these pools and keep them going and keep them open? It's a very good question and I know it's something that many rural councils battle with is articulating the community's ideas into, into an actionable product um, I might say so that's the level of service that you might provide in that facility or as as we've talked about the the asset management and life of pool so I think uh, most rural councils are reliant on external funding to upgrade facilities like these so I think if if the community's desires and the council's desires match that this facility has a long-term future then you need to look at what external funding can be brought in to actually support that whether it's from state or federal or private um, enterprise the challenge sometimes is many of these pools are in small communities that have have changed significantly their demographics over the last 20 or 30 years where you know they might have had a thousand people in their community using that pool but outdoor pool but now there's only 100 or, or 80 people left in that town and you're still trying to manage a 60-year-old pool for sort of four or five people per day coming in. So I think it's it, there's no one-size-fits-all model in that. I think it's it's really around what the council and community's vision is and then obviously trying to bring in the financial investment to actually make that happen. Clearly, there's feasibility justifications sometimes with, with those sorts of investments, and that's, I think, part of the work that the community can help support local governments with if, if that is the, the, the shared vision that they have. That's great. And it is about us joining together and helping each other out. But understanding, I think, each other's point of view because, you know, a lot of community have the, the best at heart and want the best for their area, but they can lose sight of what can actually be physically done. And then, you know, vice versa, sometimes the councils can lose sight of what the community needs as well. So working together and working off each other, I think that is really great. And like you mentioned with rural areas and regional areas, you may have five, six, ten at Lucky. You've got 50 people coming through a day into a facility, whereas in Melbourne, I mean, you've got 100 to 200 people an hour 
<laughs> compared to that. So it is a, a huge difference. Very, very different. And But they're offering different products and, you know, different justifications of what the service is actually meant to provide their community. So in a small community, the pool is a, it's a social connection space. It's more about um, bringing people together in small groups and they can recreate but then have a good time with their families or et cetera. That is the same in a metro or a larger indoor centre, but generally people may come for a purpose too, like to go to the gym or to swim laps or for swimming lessons or those sorts of things. So there's more of a structured use to those facilities where it's a lot more, well, my perception is a little bit more laid back and less structured um, in an outdoor pool setting. Yeah, that's right. So has there been anyone that's played a big role in your journey in aquatics? Would it be a mentor or family member or coach? No one specifically. Anyone from YMCA who might be listening. I had a a mentor many, many years back for a few years in the the late 2000s called Barry Finesse. He was a very respected individual within YMCA and he had a lot of history in in that space. And yeah, Barry spent a lot of time with me for a couple of years while I was, before I moved to the country and yeah, definitely respected his counsel and in more, not necessarily aquatic support, but really around my personal journey and personal leadership direction. That's brilliant. And it is also like, it doesn't have to be your career journey. What you do in your career highlights a lot of your personal values and attitudes. So getting someone to help you in that regards and mentor you through can be such an impact on your career, but also on your personal life as well. That's right. Yeah, definitely. And looking in that time period, I was, was trying to get a full-time role. It's, it's tough being 22 or so trying to get full-time work after uni and battling so having somebody that can support you and and give you some more mature perspective I guess on life it was actually the right thing that I needed at the time so it was great and definitely would encourage anybody else to they haven't had a mentor before that a mentor isn't necessarily someone who's just going to tell you what to do but it really helps you maybe look inward at yourself and, and how you can personally grow. Yeah, that's right. And mentors are great for that reason that they're there to guide you. They're not there to give you the answer. I know my mentors a lot of the time just say, "Uh, have a think about that one. Just sit back and think and, you know, take that time. So they're really great with that. Looking back on your journey in aquatics now, what advice would you give to someone coming into the industry at 22 and trying to find that job, whether it be in metro or in regional areas? The one thing I did was I persevered. So I think the opportunities are there if you have patience. So as I said earlier, I worked a number of roles, being a lifeguard, duty manager, front of house selling memberships. I did at stadium administration. I was running basketball, netball programs casually as well within that that context down at Cadenia Life and then, then moved to a, another pool to add more experience and just obviously progress slowly and, and surely through that whilst it, when you think about it, it was relatively quick at end months and then you know another eight months or so but for me it felt like a long time and it was definitely opportunities to learn and grow up other people so I think it's it's like being patient but then recognizing that many diverse roles whether it's in working for a, an operator such as a YMCA or a Lion Leisure or Belgravia or if it's say working in local government in my role right now, I manage aquatics, but I manage many other services too. So I'm really lucky to manage community development 
and our arts and culture program and sport and recreation and grants and, and council's communication. So the skills you learn as you grow and progress give you the opportunity to, I guess, find your niche and where you need to go. So I think it's there's opportunities galore if you have the patience and willingness to persevere through, which can often be sometimes challenging roles, but you learn and build on those experiences as you progress. Yeah, I really like that. And all those experiences give you diversity. And then like yourself coming into that local government, you can do so many roles because you've developed that experience and that diversity as you have developed your career. And it's about taking those lessons you learn out of specific roles and adapting them to fit into another area so I really like that how resilience to keep going keep pushing through and if you are you know rejected for something try again try in another area and find your niche find that niche that's specific for you and you can really develop and build your own career on that and also investing in yourself Katrina I think it's uh, it's really important to invest in yourself so in development opportunities Uh, as an employer you know you like to see staff that are investing in themselves who might go out and do further study or do courses that help you know in their leadership or those sorts of things because I think this is a really unique industry where you can be 21 and be managing staff yeah there's not many people that will come out of school and they're actually out there managing uh, 10 12 15 lifeguards or even as a duty manager managing a center that happens at 21 very regularly in this industry and You've got to have the maturity. You've got to have leadership. You've got to have strength. You've got to be able to invest in yourself to be able to do that. And look, I've invested heavily. I've done quite a bit of university study over my last 15 years. So that's definitely helped me, I guess, build on the experiences that I've also gained in employment So to get me to where I am. And look, I'm still growing and I think that's important I have a lifelong learning philosophy so I'll I'll continue to learn you don't get to a point where I am now and go oh yeah that's enough I've got that philosophy I've got to keep learning and keep growing so so I think yeah just being able to um, invest in yourself is definitely really important yeah and I think that's something that's really showing in the podcast interviews I'm doing is that a lot of people have said you need to have that lifelong learning look into your career and into your journey because there's always something new happening there's always a new way to do something that's trial and error and I really think that's a great topic is that we do need to learn we do need to continue that learning but really look at as how it's going to enhance you and build your niche so they connect really well and it is a a topic that's been coming up quite a lot about always learning and always developing right all right, so for you, what does swimming and aquatics look like into the future? Well, from a facility point of view, our facilities, as I said earlier, were built built in the late 50s, early 60s from an outdoor pool setting, and they were built for a purpose, which was to do laps generally. So the needs have changed. People are less inclined to swim laps and more inclined to also recreate in the water, have a bit of fun like they might at the beach or something like that. So I think there's there's definitely those sorts of considerations and you know, around aquatic play, which is, is definitely something that is coming through from my point of view. And look, you see that in many of the new facilities that have been developed is there's a lot more emphasis around aquatic play and then also around that exercise, rehabilitation sort of thing. So um, having 
the opportunity to uh, have a warm water pool or hydrotherapy facilities that utilize from that point of view. So yeah, there's definitely changing trends and changing usage that we're seeing and we need to have facilities that reflect that. So I think in many instances, um, those outdoor facilities we've been talking about don't always reflect the the changing needs in that in the industry, but definitely something that as long as we're mindful of those and we're programming or providing the space to enable that programming, we're investing where we can into warm water facilities for for exercise, rehab, and also swimming lessons is really important. So I'd say in our area, like they're the emerging needs is, is around that warm water exercise and, and indoor all year round uh, swimming lessons, which isn't readily available here. And then the outdoor facilities are more around the lap swimming where we have the need. And I think in your case, Katrina, your swimming club's the highest user in terms of from a lap swimming point of view, being a swimming club, but definitely exploring those other ways we can encourage and enhance the aquatic play or recreation elements of those facilities is important. I think that's really good that you're looking into other areas because there are so many things coming out now, so many activities, so many niches. Your standard activities are being developed. I mean, I was only looking on Facebook the other day and they had gym equipment, bikes and row machines and things like that in swimming pools. So all of that is always developing, always some new trend coming through. And I think if we can keep on top of that, and try and offer those services and that's something again with Sam in Bendigo he does really well at the Golden Square pool offering a lot of different alternatives whether it be on just facility grounds or in the pool as well I really like how you're thinking towards that of really tapping into the different community and needs that we can offer in the facilities but then also looking to develop pools and develop that indoor area which I know something in Kerrangan in our shires have always been a hot topic that you know there is no indoor pools you know that we need a bigger facility and that to look at advancing it and developing that as well even in the smaller communities. And, you know, we're doing some strategic work at the moment in, in developing municipal aquatic strategy, which which would, I guess, bring in some of those themes and those needs, but also, I guess, address why people aren't using aquatic facilities and, and, and maybe how can we bring more people to actually use the facilities? You know, what could we offer that might actually enhance our participation or uh, encourage more people to, to learn to swim or things like that so I think it's in any situation you've got to look at the big picture and the whole context of why people are using why they're not what are the demands what's not needed and try and I guess get a set of strategic direction that we can all follow both as, as a local government and also as a community. And I think also it's one thing I found in especially rural areas is that you're going against humanity in regards to humans don't really like change and we really take a while to warm up to things. So trying to develop new programs and bring diversity into swimming pools, you really are going up against humanity because, you know, we don't want things to change and then we're unsure about new programs coming in. It takes a while. It could be a year or two, I found that, with really getting people to adopt and get into these programs. So it is about trial and error, but it's about that patience again to be able to put a program in and be able to see it out for a few years to see if you can build that interest over that time. You're right. And I think we're often very passionate about our history and embracing our history. And often that change 
element, as you've sort of said, it, it can be quite difficult. So I think where we can as a community, as a local government, as a uh, industry is in, is recognising some of those historical contexts and how we actually incorporate them in whatever future change that we might try to, to bring in that addresses those needs or those expectations. Yeah, I really like that because it's something that we do have to take note of the history, but then somehow develop that into the future and take that on board, but build a future that everyone can take part in, learn from, and that's not inhibited by its history and its past as well. So there's a very fine line to tread and anyone who's in your position, I commend you. Well done for to be able to take on both those sides and tread that fine line. And I think you're doing a great job, even if we don't tell you as often as we should. I'm glad you recorded that, Katrina. <laughs> you're going to use it against me, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I think it's about putting often, as I said, without history, we, you know, sometimes people are very passionate about what they've done or how they've done it. And I think it's just, you're never going to get a resolution if we battle with those those ideals. It's more about how do we bring them to the table and, and come up with a solution that works for both both sides. And I think that's uh, so leading the community engagement team here at council. That's that's definitely the emphasis we're trying to make is about how we actually listen and understand the needs of the community or understand the needs and expectations of our users. And then how do we then feasibly make that happen in the often challenging constraints of local government where possible and if not give a detailed understanding to to those users or those community members why something can't happen because often people are quite understanding when we're able to articulate barriers or challenges that we have in in making something happen as long as it's clear council isn't just saying no because it can say no because of, of a certain reason or saying no we can't but can we do this instead would that help us you know so that's sort of the philosophy we're trying to incorporate here and uh, as part of our team and that will obviously continue because I think that's the the best way to to get a resolution for any any challenges we have moving forward yeah and yeah that's right it's about offering those compromises and developing the best way forward for both sides and it's never going to be exactly what everyone wants but you know, we can get the best parts for both and that's really a great compromise that we can make. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Look, I guess because councils are a business, as you know, and the managing, you know, 50 plus services that all require financial investments, they all have challenges and, and community expectations. So so often it might not be the aquatic industry or the aquatic service has to be put next to the um, garbage service and the local laws service and, and all those different things. So, you know, sometimes it's quite, local government can be quite a large beast and to balance out the different uh, expectations community on differences as well. And then how does that impact the, the aquatic industry and aquatic service? So, yeah, it's uh, definitely an in- industry I enjoy being involved in and I think being able to work across aquatics as well as local government, definitely some insight to, to how the, the whole the whole system works and and how we can try and get the best out of the community. That's a really good look at it and a diverse look, which is great. You're seeing it from all angles. And I really like what you said about council being a, a very large beast because <laughs> it is, we all say that. And we don't work anywhere near it, luckily. 
Oh, look, in a lot, yeah, and I think some people might take that out of context and say large beast is we have a lot of staff. That's not that's not the um, context I was putting into, but is that we offer a lot and be quite a, a challenge to seek investment in one area when another area requires investment. So it's um, definitely always a balancing act when it comes to budgets and, and getting a level of service that we're all comfortable with, that's affordable, that's, you know, meets expectations. Yeah, that's right. So how do you think as an individual in the industry or an industry together, can we promote and develop aquatics on both learn to swim competitive as well as just community recreation to encourage more participants and more people in our pools, but do that with less funding? Ah, so uh, <laughs> it's a big easy one for you to finish. Oh, it's, that's a tough question, Katrina, because I think the challenges, as I've said earlier, around assets requires funding. Do you want to give everybody what they want, what I want, and what you want, and whatever? That needs a lot of external investment and something that is probably un, unachievable. But I'm going to raise a point here. So, like rural and regional pools don't make money. So when I think what we need to be clear is that they're subsidised by council rates. On the other hand, whether they're fully subsidised or not, generally a, a larger indoor centre is semi-profitable. So, you know, profit being made each year from entries from Learn to Swim, et cetera. So putting it in context, there are some significant challenges for rural facilities to continue to survive. I think probably most of them, we're operating because of the passions of their community. And you've used Golden Square as an example today, and that's definitely a great example of, of a community who's so passionate about a facility, even when um, the council's trying to make other strategic decisions about not just aquatics, but other, other services as well. So so that's the point that that council's not against aquatics, it's just trying to strategically look at everything and make an impact. So financially bit of a challenge but what I would say is that here we are trying to reduce barriers to access I think it's about keeping fees low it's about heavily promoting the products that you're doing whether it's learn to swim or the indoor exercise we are trying to activate our, our outdoor pools so like running pool parties with you know a limited budget often say alliance club running a barbecue or something like that which tries to keep the cost down by using a volunteer service, those sorts of things. So running promotional opportunities with obviously with the limited funding. So that's at that micro level, I guess that acute level, but the larger context is there is no easy way of developing the industry, particularly in rural areas without government subsidy. And as I said, local governments put a lot in to aquatics every year just to keep the, the doors of those outdoor pools open and not making a lot of money through that process so well yeah they're, they're losing money so it's a challenging question and I don't think I've probably given you a very articulate answer Katrina but definitely trying to using the volunteers and, and other groups to promote the services that are offered and then clearly trying to attract external investment where possible particularly for grades or redevelopments those aging facilities that's a, a rural context as an industry-wide sector Clearly, sourcing additional funding would be the the best way to go. But then, obviously, there's milestones and criteria that have to be achieved to to attract that. So, definitely, 
an industry-wide issue, not necessarily a localised issue, which I probably reflected more on. It is that there are so many levels to that question and to the industry and whether it be in a rural pool or whether it be in a a metro pool like we've explained, it it is different in both areas. As a, say, community group, how can we as a community group help the council or help promote the industry as well? Do you have any ideas and any thoughts on that? Uh, look, I think one of the key things I've mentioned earlier is around partnership, and I think the Korean Swimming Club's a great one, which obviously you're a part of, Katrina, where we're able to, I guess, work with you to provide access to the facility. But what we actually do is when we get queries about lessons or opportunities to get involved is, is actually then referring them to, to you as part of that partnership. So I think it's, it's recognising the importance that groups like yours make in actually delivering a quality service and enabling the best we can um, to continue that that service because, you know, you've got 120 members or something like that. That's 120 people that are coming to the pool two to three times a week. So that's a great number for a small rural pool to have and definitely recognising what you offer. Yeah, so recognising the importance that role that swimming clubs and other groups play in, in being able to deliver part of that service. We have a number of external waterways, rivers, lakes, dams that are, that are quite prominent in the Ganawara and people need to know how to swim. Otherwise, uh, there's potential that there might be more. There's enough inland waterway drownings as there is, so we don't want any more of those. So where there's any services that are being offered to we can promote because often, you know, we're already heavily subsidising a pool. So often adding additional services like what the swimming club's providing is cost prohibitive. So as I said, being able to support and, and promote what is an empowered community group to help deliver on. That's perfect. And, you know, it is, yeah, working together and cross-promoting each other is a really great strategy to use. So I think you'd really taking on the community's view there and you know also looking at it as an industry point as well so it's great so that's the last of my questions I'd like to say thank you very much for coming on and showing us a diverse role in swimming and I suppose as a swim teacher and a coach not your standard role for what I see but someone like yourself plays a big role in the industry and there's a lot more you know need and it shows that there's a lot of areas we can go into you know if you come out of swimming as a a teenager or in you know your 20s or out of school you can apply aquatics in so many different roles in the industry so thank you very much for sharing all that with us no worries Katrina